I got to start with something kind of serious. So uh, here we go. Uh, a few years ago, I made a very big life decision. It was uh, for years I had been wrestling with kind of an addiction that dominated me, held me captive. It, it affected my family. It affected my finances. It affected how I treated people. Um, I'm not proud to admit it, uh, but I guess this is, I just ripped the bandaid off. I, uh, I drank too much Coca-Cola, the red label. It's true. You, you know what I'm talking about. This is good stuff. And uh, it was bad. Uh, I was knocking out several cases a week if I could. I'd, I'd sneak them in the middle of the night. I'd go out and, and go to the kitchen and I would just hope my kids wouldn't hear me. I was like, you know, crack that lid. And I drink the whole bottle before going to bed without brushing my teeth. It's true. Um, and it was bad. And, and, and I knew that it was affecting my life and I was having way too much uh, soda. And so it's true. My name is Chris. And I had a soda problem. I'd go to restaurants just because I got free refills. Uh, but it didn't end with Coca-Cola. No, it wasn't long before I got past the gateway soda and I discovered the doctor. Anybody with me on that? I mean, this is good. Look at this. An authentic blend of 23 flavors. 23. So good. And it took me over. and uh, but, but it got it got out of control. And I had to stop. I had to stop. So I talked over with my wife and I said, look, I, I got I to gotta take control back. I got to cut back, you know, just a three or four a day, right? At least, at, at max. Um, but after trying that for a little while, it didn't help. I had to go cold turkey. So I did what you do. I gathered my support group around me and, and, I, and I, I pulled the plug. Like I, it was, it was hard. And for six or eight weeks, it was just a struggle because I craved sugar and, you know, it affected my attitude and it was weird. It made me feel funny. And, but I, I finally got there and, and months began to go by and I hadn't had any soda. And so I'm like, wow, this, this is working. I was feeling better. I had more energy and it's crazy. And I, I didn't even want it anymore. So I tried some things like I'd go to a restaurant and I'd get, I'd get a, a Dr. Pepper with my meal and, and I'd taste it and I'd be like, whoo, that is too sweet. Which in the past I had said to other people, I mean, you're crazy because this stuff is good. But it was like, I couldn't even finish the whole glass. I didn't even want to refill. I wouldn't be like, hey, could I get this to go? No, I'm just like, throw it away. I've had enough. Bring me some water with a lemon. Uh, and it has really been a good thing for me. Now, I got to be honest. I have in, it's been a couple years ago and I really got control over it. I have introduced soda back into my life, but in moderation. In fact, today I'm into the seltzer. I know, I know, I can't believe that I'm into it, but I really, this is a Mandarin orange seltzer from Harris Teeter, and it's actually pretty good. Uh, I would have hated it several years ago, but now I love it. Nice and cold. I love the fizz on my tongue. Um, don't tell the doctor. Uh, he doesn't know. <laughs> okay, look, obviously I'm being ridiculous. Uh, addiction is not a joke, and I know there are some serious things that people have had to go through to overcome some addictions uh, bigger than that. In fact, in my life, I've had to overcome some pretty major addiction, uh, not soda. I've also been able to walk hand in hand with friends of mine who've overcome major, major addictions that affect their life. And, and I know that it takes a lot of change, and, but this is the thing, and this is the reason I tell this story to get us going, because our series right now is called A New Mentality. And if we ever want to make a big change in our life, though we are going to have to adjust some habits, it's a mental shift that has to happen before it is ever going to take change. And I want to tell you some more real stories. I've got a buddy 
who uh, was up to his eyeballs in debt. I mean, and I'm not actually sure how much. I think it was tens and tens of thousands, uh, but it, it was a lot of debt, okay? And and it was crushing him, and, and he realized he was never going to recover from this. It was, it was His credit was bad. All this kind of stuff was bad. But one day, he decided that he was going to make some dramatic changes. He adopted a new mentality. So this is the things he did to get out of debt. He sold his car. He started riding his bike to work instead of riding a car to work. He, he sold some property that he'd been holding on to that really he didn't need. Uh, he stopped eating out, him and his wife, and they, and they cut a lot of expenses like that. They never went out to eat. He started to cut his own hair instead of paying somebody else to cut his hair. He started. Uh, he stopped making impulse buys like we tend to do. Like, oh, I'd like to have that. He's like, no, I don't need that. I haven't budgeted for this. I haven't planned for this. He rolled every spare penny that he had into paying down this debt, and today, He's debt free and he's celebrated with friends and it's, it's been awesome. And not only that, because of this new mentality, he's got a new financial health. And I actually get to work with this guy all the time. He's on our church finance team now. And I love the decisions that this guy makes because he now speaks from a place of, of generosity, not just uh, maybe materialism or whatever is contrary to that. And, and this shift in his mentality has led to a shift in his actions. That's one story. Here's another story. This one's super exciting. Uh, I have a friend who, uh, a couple of years ago, he weighed 326 pounds, uh, and he realized that his health was not great, and his doctors had spoken to him, and I remember he shared with me once, he said, you know, I can't imagine not being here for my kids and my wife. He's a young guy. He's younger than I am, and he said, I can't imagine his doctors were like, look, if you keep this up, you might not be around. So one day, he decided he was going to make some dramatic changes, a new mentality. So he joined Weight Watchers. He started exercising. He changed his diet. He started watching his, the calories that he took in. And I talked to him this past week and was just re-inspired by his story. Uh, so much so that he was kind of pumped about it. He actually sent me some pictures, some before and after pictures. So I want to kind of show you this. This is my buddy Tyler. Okay, Tyler, this first picture was taken about three months before his new mentality. Check this out. Look at that guy. He's so happy. Oh, I love this dude. Here's a picture of Tyler. 146 pounds later. Look at that stud rocking that guitar, looking good. Wow, I mean, this guy, he's managed his weight, and it's not just weight, it's like a whole mentality shift. I mean, the guy, the way the way he carries himself, the way he talks about things, has, has taken a shift. And look, I know my friend has gone through some hard times, things much harder than, than weight loss. Um, but taking control of this one part of his life, and developing this new mentality about it has led to so many different actions in his life. I've eaten out with him multiple times recently. And uh, just the way he looks at the menu and orders foods, I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I should get a salad. Uh, my bad. <laughs> you know? And no soda. It's inspiring. I tell all those stories to finally get to today's lesson. Okay, we're starting a new teaching series today. And we're going to be studying through the book of Colossians in a series that we're calling A New Mentality. And uh, because, you know, we all struggle with a lot of things. I think weight loss and, and, and finances and maybe some addiction that you're wrestling with. Bigger, yes, than even my Dr. Pepper fix. But this new mentality is something that God can give us. And so we're talking about a problem that's even bigger than those things. It's our sin problem. We don't like to talk about our sin, but it's a major part of our life. There are things in our life that put barriers up between our soul and God. And that's the Jesus story, diving into our world and offering us a way out of that, saying, listen, you don't have to stay separate from me. 
You can have my grace. You can have my forgiveness. And as a fringe benefit of all that, and maybe actually as a, as a driving catalyst of all that, I want to help you develop a new mentality about life, about sin, about God. Because he gave his life and he rose from the dead so that we could have life. So today we're going to start this new teaching series. And uh, I hope that it helps with every single issue that we've got in our life. To get there, we want to open up our Bibles to the book of Colossians. There's going to be a, a book study. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and make sure you pull it out every week. It's going to be important to have one with you. Uh, and, um, and we're going to be in the book of Colossians. Colossians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in uh, a city called Colossae. And Colossae was a major town on, on a major trade route. Uh, and so uh, it was a pretty big place. And one thing that Paul often would do is, is he would focus some of his teaching on some of these bigger areas because there'd be more people to be impacted and it could be spread around. And so we've got Paul talking to the Colossians. Uh, and this is a letter of instruction written by Paul to this church. And he's writing them with this one central theme. And this is the theme that if you kind of encapsulate this whole book around this one theme, you'll really get it, okay? And this is, this is what it is. The predominance of Christ. That of everything else that's in this world, if Jesus comes first, everything else falls into line. Jesus is predominant. We're going to especially see that next week as we get uh, further on. But uh, we're going to be using uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 as an anchor passage for this whole thing. We're actually not going to study this passage today, but I want to read it because this is talking about that new mentality that we can have in Jesus. Here we go. This is Colossians 3 verse 1. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above. There's that mentality. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So whether today you would identify yourself as a Christian or not, uh, here's what I hope. I hope that you can hear the words from the book today and consider sticking around with us for the rest of this series, because I think it will begin to dramatically impact all of our lives. And those of you who would say, yes, I am, am a Christian, I want you to make sure, like, have I developed this mentality that Christ wants me to develop? So we're not going to study any more chapter 3 today. Actually, to get into our study, I want to go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to get into this study. Now, while you flip over there, uh, I want to encourage you to join us for some more study. Uh, we are going to be studying this for four weeks on Sunday morning, but you can dive deeper with us on Tuesday nights. Uh, this past Tuesday, I started the study, Colossians, uh, on Tuesday night. It's a Zoom call. You can find that by going to the homepage of our website, jointheventure.com. About halfway down the page, there's just a link that talks about small groups. Click on that, and it'll show you all of our small groups. But look for the one that's called Tuesday Night Bible Study. And everybody's welcome to join that, even if you're other in another small group. If you don't attend our church regularly, you're from out of town, but you want to be part of a Bible study, come hang out with us. We're going to be unpacking this uh, in more detail. Uh, but today, we're going to back up to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to get through the first 14 verses. And so let's just dive into that together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So this is a straightforward introduction to the book. Paul introduces himself. He introduces this guy, Timothy, who's kind of his uh, protege and traveling companion. And he, he says, hey, to the church at Colossae. And then he's going to go forward and he's going to give some major props to this church because actually the church at Colossae, you should know, had a really great reputation. And we can learn a lot uh, as Christians about like what the church should be like looking at how he praises them. Look at verse three here. 
He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that sprung from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Wow, what, what a high praise for a church. If you want to go back and look at that again, you can see a lot of concepts that he praises them for. And the big three that I pull out of it are this that their faith is strong, that they have this hope, and that they have love. Faith, hope, and love. And this is a common thing throughout several of Paul's writings. Um, if you have church background that was like, uh, the church I know about has a bad reputation. And it's not something I would want to emulate. Then there's a good chance that they weren't living by some of these basic principles. They didn't have that mentality. We church, I'm speaking specifically right now to any of you who are part of a church anywhere. And I'm talking to my friends at Venture Church. Let's be sure that we have the type of mentality that leads to this type of reputation. That like when people hear about us, they hear about the fruit that comes from our lives that praises God. And so we're going to keep on going. We're going to meet a guy in verse 7. That's pretty cool. His name is Epaphras. Verse 7 it says, you learned it from Epaphras. So I appreciate this guy, Epaphras, uh, Epaphras, as some people pronounce it. Uh, and it basically, this was the guy most people would say might have uh, planted this church. He founded this church. And so Paul's kind of saying, man, good job leading that. You heard about this from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And so that's an introduction to the church at Colossae and their leader, Epaphras. But then we get to verse 9. And in verse 9, we start really appreciating the mentality that we can start to seek as we learn to seek Jesus. Paul is praying for this church in Colossae. And as he prays for them, look at the list of things he prays about. So we're going to read it once all the way through, all the way through verse 14. Then we're going to come back and unpack it. So take a look at that. We're going to look starting at verse 9. Okay, verse 9. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. That's encouraging. We continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this prayer for the church at Corinth is strong. It's a good prayer. What I want to encourage us to do this morning is uh, grab a notebook, grab a piece of paper. You might also uh, just make some notes in your Bible here because I want to unpack those specific things that Paul prays for. And I want to kind of overlay this as like a prayer we could pray for each other. Like imagine if verses uh, 9 through 12 were a prayer that you began to pray over your children over your spouse, over your students, if you're a teacher, over your neighborhood, over the people in your life, your family, whatever it is. Uh, because this is what I know. Making the shift, making that change in your mindset to honor God, it's not easy. And we need all the help that we can get. 
And so praying for these specific things is important. So let's look at them. First of all, he starts off, he says, we can we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. So we got two things there. The first thing he's praying for is, I pray that you will have knowledge of God's will. Romans chapter 12 teaches us that the way that we find God's will in our life is that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. He says this, in doing this, you will know what God's uh, good and perfect will is. So the idea is that if we want to know God's will in our life, we're going to have to start living for him. And the more we live for him, the more we'll start to see, oh, wow, this is where I'm supposed to be headed. And that's his prayer for them. That's my prayer for you. I hope that you pray for me, that I'll have knowledge of God's will. Like, I want to know what God wants. And then the second half of this, that you'll have wisdom and understanding from the Holy Spirit. Because it's one thing to just kind of like know some stuff. It's another thing to be wise. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit, that's God's presence in our life, can guide us towards wisdom. Because honestly, I all the time have no clue what to do. I'm just like, man, what's the best decision here? But if the Holy Spirit can be in my life and help me find wisdom and discernment, man, how much better would that be? So those two things to begin praying for, knowledge of God's will, wisdom and understanding from the Holy Spirit. And then he continue goes in verse 10, he says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Imagine praying that over your children, over your spouse, over your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends and your family. Just that, Lord, please help this person please you. What more basic thing could we ask God for help in? Because it's so easy for me to only want to please myself. That's why we have addiction. That's why we struggle with so many things because of that self-serving attitude. And so we're praying that we can please God with our life. And then he keeps on going. Um, In the second half of verse 10, he says, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. The one I want to extrapolate from that is that we bear fruit. You know, Jesus says that if the way that we can tell if someone is serving God is by the fruit that their life produces. I mean, I don't know if that tree is an apple tree, until I see apples growing on it. I mean, I, I, you might be some like tree magician and you just know all what trees are just by looking at the leaves. Good for you. But I don't know. But look, it's got oranges on it. That must be an orange tree. You know what I mean? And so it's a, it's a metaphor for our lives. And the fruit of God's spirit in our life, uh, to, to start with, we read about it in Galatians, but it says that the, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says against these things, there's no law. Like, you know, it's just something that we just... We will produce with our life these things. And so this is the prayer that he has for those people, that they'll have a mentality that leads them to having God-honoring fruit with their life. And I want to pray that over you, and I want you to pray it over me. We'll keep going. This, this last like uh, triplet that I'm going to give you in verse 11 is huge. He says, and I'm going to t- it's a prayer. So he's saying, and I pray that you will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. He prays for three things there, and I'm just going to use them all together. Strength, endurance, and patience. Strength. I mean, if we're going to try to beat the uh, the, the human nature <laughs> mentality, we're going to need strength. Scripture teaches us that our spirit might be willing, but our flesh is weak. We're going to need strength. And to pray for that is huge. Like, if you've got somebody that's going through an addiction they're trying to break or a habit they're trying to get rid of or they're trying to seek guidance, pray that they'll have strength. But it's one thing to carry a heavy book bag, you know, five steps. That's strength. A strong person could pick up a 300-pound book bag and carry it five steps. But it takes endurance to carry it 
around the block or for a mile or for days. And as we shift this mentality from worldly things to heavenly things, it's going to take not just strength, but endurance. After we get beat up time and time again, after we find ourselves uh, discouraged, we're going to have to be able to get back up and keep on walking. And I pray for you that you can have endurance like Paul prayed for the Colossians and that I hope you can pray for me because it's so easy to want to give up. And then the third part of this little triplet that I'm throwing together, strength and endurance, he prays that they would have patience. Patience. Whew. Don't we need some patience right now? If you've been cooped up with your family for over a month right now, you probably need some patience. And if we're going to develop a mentality, it's going to take some patience because we're not going to know all the answers all at once. We're not going to have everything we need to fully please God with our lives. We have His grace, and that's fantastic. And that's what we can lean on for hope. But patience as we learn to get the old self off and adopt the new self. And then this last piece that he begins to pray. He says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and into the, and in the kingdom of light. This Thanksgiving piece is huge. And, and um, I think that I have found that Thanksgiving has been one of the greatest tools to calm my spirit. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 talks about anxiety. And it says that one, one of the tools we can fight anxiety with, in addition to the peace that comes from Christ, that's what is said in chapter 4 of Philippians, but it also says that we can submit our prayers to him in Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, whereas strength and endurance and patience is about um, striving towards something that's ahead, Thanksgiving is about acknowledging what God has already done in the past or maybe even in the present. Thank you, God. Like I'm struggling with this thing, but wow, thank you that you've got me this far or thank you that this has happened or thank you that I've grown in this way or just thank you for what's happened in someone else's life. Like I don't have it in my life, but just thank you for them. And the more we begin to thank God, the more that peace comes over us and the more that mentality begins to shift. So you're looking something to pray for? You take these verses and just pray them. Make them your prayer. Pick a person and pray for that person in those words. And it will begin to shift your mentality about that person, and it'll begin to shift your mentality about God and pray those things over yourself because that's what I've been doing for you this week, and I pray that you'll also do it for me. The gravity, though, of Jesus' predominance. In other words, we said that the, the, like the main thing about the book of Colossians that Paul wants us to know is that Jesus is predominant happens after that prayer, and at the very last part, we've already read it, verses 13 and 14, and this is what I want to land on for our closing thoughts today because, yes, we need to develop a new mentality, but why? 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 Who cares? Like, why do I have to seek Jesus? I mean, there's so many other things I could seek. Look at verse 13. This is why. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Why does it matter? Because there was a rescue mission that Jesus came on and it was for you and it was for me. We love good rescue stories. Uh, I'm friends with so many first responders and heroes. I think of people just in our church family. I think several of you are watching right now. If you're not on a shift right now and you're watching it later, I think of uh, Jeremy and Melissa King. I think of Travis Best and Brian Wilson, Zach and uh, Zach and Ashley Luce. I, I, and there's so many more. I, I think I've thought of everyone. Maybe there's more people, but you guys are heroes. These guys are, are paramedics and firefighters and police officers, and they're on the front lines for people every single day. I think of my buddy Brandon Smallwood, uh, who is an elder at our church, but he's also an emergency room doctor. 
And the stories that this guy has of diving in and being in people's lives, and of course he can't share all the details because of patient confidentiality. So I imagine there's more and more that he could talk about. But being in someone's life and, and rescuing them, that's huge. And we are captivated by stories like that. My brother, his name is Jason, and uh, my brother does a lot of good things. He's one of my heroes. Uh, but Jason, in addition to other things that he does, uh, he's also a pastor and uh, does, does work at a hospital in, in town. But he's also a volunteer firefighter on the, in the Outer Banks at Kill Devil Hills. And the stories that he tells are incredible. And here's the thing. He's a volunteer. Like, it's in his full-time gig. But he's getting woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning to run to somebody's house to help put out a fire or go to an accident scene to help somebody who's been in a terrible accident. And I think about so many other people in our life. I got to coach football last year with a couple of amazing guys, and three of them were uh, firefighters. And, and I think of George and John and Phil and the stories that they tell. And I'm like, I'm captivated by a rescue story. And I think the thing that captivates us and the thing that draws us in, and the reason I bring this up, first of all, the reason I bring it up is to say thank you guys, all of y'all. In fact, all of our healthcare workers who are putting their life out there uh, all over the 